0: Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope, ultimately, that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Hey, night no, Church, really great to see you uh, tonight. As Zach said, I'm Daryl, so I uh, yeah, live in I work in Wellington, I work in finance. Um, used to be on the terrace, you know, because everything happens on the terrace, but... Not there anymore, but I'm uh, working in Wellington, living in Wakanai Church in Palmy. That's life in uh, uh, this decade, right? So, great to be with you tonight. I've uh, been around Crossroads for a couple of decades now, which makes me really young. Uh, in fact, I was here for the very first night church when the whole thing got launched, so it's really cool to see kind of how it's developed. So, you know, speaking of memories, there's just some things in your life, eh, that you, just, you know, you just really vividly remember them like they could have happened yesterday. And there's this one thing, like I was 10 and I played rugby when I was 10 and migrated to basketball after a while. I was playing rugby and went to West End School, which, uh, you know, is not far from here. And you played uh, for your club on the week- weekend and played for your school during the week. And so I played for West End during the week and Kia was uh, my rugby club uh, during, during the weekends. And I played prop because I was a big dude back then. They called me jumbo, not because I had big ears, but because I was, you know, solid and, real solid, and, and the best rugby ball by far was made by Adidas, and it was this leather ball, it was kind of fawn and black stuff at the end, and the All Blacks used it, and all the international teams used it, and it's made in France, it was, it's probably the best rugby ball that has ever been made, and uh, I wanted an Adidas rugby ball just like that one. And so in those days, kind of like if you're a, if you're 10 and you wanted something, you didn't have enough money, then you had to go into, like, into the store and put it on a thing called lay by which is where you go in, you say, I need this thing, I want this thing, but I can't pay for it. So they take it into this little room in the, in the department store, and every week or two weeks when you had a little bit of money, you'd go in and they'd fill out your card, like this is before digital media and all that jazz. Uh, and eventually over time, you kind of like you pay the thing off, and then you could take it home. So I, uh, worked, I worked this paper around, uh, delivering papers, and over about five months I paid off an Ash rugby ball on lay-by and got to take it home. I was really excited. Uh, So I played rugby for Kiota and uh, I was playing, like, I played with a team where there were the guys I played with a couple of years up from me. And so uh, I, uh, very unwisely, because these these guys I played with were big and mean, meaner than me. I very unwisely took my new ball to my rugby practice in the first week I had it. Um, and so, really excited. Uh, and then at the end of practice, these five big, I mean, huge, mean dudes stood around me from my team and kind of leaned on me and said, we want to borrow your ball, we'll bring it back for the game on the weekend. So, you know, like I felt like I had no choice really, so I, I gave my ball away. And um, got to the weekend and I said, oh, where's my ball? They said, oh, we forgot it. We'll bring it to practice. Got to practice. Said, oh, where's my ball? Uh, well, oh, sorry, we forgot it. We'll bring it to the game. And this went on for a couple of weeks. I'm thinking, man, what's happened to my ball? So no social media. You have to tap into to people networks at this time. So as a 10-year-old, I tapped into my people networks. I said, man, where's my ball? And so my network began telling me that your ball has been confiscated by uh, a teacher at this other school your teammates go to. Uh, he's a teacher and rugby coach, and like, like, I didn't know this teacher, this rugby coach, but I knew of him. Mean, irascible, um, unrelenting, intimidating, grumpy, and I thought, oh, no. So, anyway, so apparently this rugby coach had my ball. So, uh, again, tapped into my network, like, "When when is he in his classroom after school? And um, so the network began telling me when he would be in his classroom, so I began to uh, plan my attack run, uh, get the ball back strategy. So, um, so one day, um, and it would be fair to say you probably picked up, but courage isn't my, my thing. So I was petrified about doing this, but I thought, right, I've got to do this. So one day I jumped on my bike and biked over to the other school, uh, after school, and uh, found this teacher's classroom and of. thankfully he was there because I don't think I'd do it a second time, right? And i have been carefully rehearsing the speech, like, what am I going to say? So I get in there and I, and, I, and I greet him and I could see my ball on the window shelf, so good, that's a good thing, right? It's a bit worse for wear, like, but anyway, it's still there. And so I, I do this speech, right, about my ball and he just stands there, just glares at me and I'm like, and then so I get done with my speech and he just stands there and just glares at me, like, fulfilling everything I'd heard about him, right, and, and and so, I, so after a while I thought, I said, well, can I take it then? And he said, yeah, if it's yours. So like, no sudden moves. I walk slowly across the classroom, take my ball off the window shelf. I walk slowly back across the classroom, get to the door. Then I, then I hoof it, man. I'm out of that school on my bike. I think I talk to the ball the whole way home, which I think is probably a problem. But um, <laughs> Man, that is the scariest the scariest thing, one of the scariest things, people things I think I've ever done. Like, I was 10. Man, that's, that's scary. So we are in this series called Presence. And you know, we've looked at we've looked at some characters. We looked at Abraham and we've looked at Moses and we've looked at Elijah. And if you've been with us and traveling with us, we've looked at Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and we've looked at the Holy Spirit in the room in Acts and Jake. Did you, you did that last week, right? Brought that, brought that here, yep. Uh, and the Spirit being present with us. And so it's all been about when, you know, God has come and been present with us. But tonight we're going to kind of switch it around and we're going to talk about when we go in to God's presence. And in the Old Testament in particular, uh, the scariest thing, like I tell you about doing scariest things, in the Old Testament in particular, the scariest thing that you could do was be in the presence of God. Like it was just understood. If you're in the presence of God, you're basically dead. So Moses, when he saw the burning bush, when he kind of like, oh, I'm going to go see that. And when he realized God was speaking out of the bush, he wouldn't look at it. Right, because he's dead. And a little later on, he's on Mount Sinai. He sees the afterburners of God. He comes down from the mountain. He glows for days and days and days. And he just saw the entrails of God as God passed by him. Uh, Jacob wrestled with the Lord, with with God all night. And he woke up in the morning, marveled he wasn't dead. Isaiah the prophet, like, he, he uh, has this vision of the throne room of God, and he said, I've seen God, I'm ruined, I'm ruined. And then Elijah, when we saw him, when uh, Andrew talked to us about Elijah, and God was going to pass by when he was on Mount Herod. Remember, he wrapped his cloak tightly around his face so he couldn't see God. To see God is to die. And yet, when we come into our passage tonight, because we're going to be in... in um, Hebrews chapter number ten. We're going to see in our passage that we can see God go into God's heavenly throne room and not die. It's an amazing thing. A little later on, in Hebrews ten it says to be um, um, uh, for for God is like a um, to be in the presence of God is like a terrible, <laughs> a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But that's not our reality in Hebrews ten. So come with me in chapter number 10. We're going to be in verses 19 to 25. Uh, Grab your device. um, uh, Whatever you've got with you, it'll be up on the screen. We're going to read this passage from Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 19 to 25. And this is what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Look at that statement in verse number 19. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. And this really draws quite heavily on Old Testament imagery. If you're not familiar with it, the most holy place, or the holy of holies as it's called, uh, it sat inside the holy place, so lots of holies. And it refers to the Old Testament te- uh, temple. Uh, the most holy place, the holy of holies, was right in the middle of the temple. It was inside the holy Place, and the place, and there was this really thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And I realize that's kind of really Old Testament imagery and typology, but the holy place contained like the table of showbread and the candlestick and the altar of incense, which meant a lot in the Old Testament. Then they have this curtain or this veil, and it separates the holy place from the most holy place. And in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat was resting on top. And I know that's real Old Testament, but that's what our writer is describing to us. And this curtain also you know, known as the veil in some Bible translations, represented the presence of sin that separated uh, the holy place from the most holy place. Because in the most holy places, the holy of holies, that's where God's presence dwelt. And only the high priest could enter there. And he could only do it once a year, and he had to do it really carefully. he had to do it with the blood of an animal. He'd go sprinkle it on that mercy seat because the presence of God was there. And if he didn't do it right he would die. But the reality of the New Testament of our age is that Jesus has changed all of that. When Jesus died on the cross and became our sacrifice and our great priest, the great priest and or great, great high priests, he created access to the very presence of God in heaven's most holy place. And we can go in and not die and that's a big deal. Sydney was a big deal for the people that the writer of Hebrews was talking to. And you say, man, how does that work? Great question. There's this theologian, Wayne Gruden, he explains it like this. What then does the author of Hebrews mean when he says we can enter into the holy places? He's talking about a reality in the unseen spiritual realm. With Christ as our mediator, we enter not into the earthly temple in Jerusalem, but into the true sanctuary, into heaven itself, where Christ has gone to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, so what he 's talking about is that in in our time, we enter into god 's presence spirit, spiritually through prayer and Uh, through worship, and we stand before his throne to worship him and to speak to him and make our requests of him. And we can do this as individuals. We can do this as Christian groups, you know, friends and connect groups and corporate worship like tonight. And I know we don't think about it being like that too much because, you know, we don't see the unseen spiritual realm very much. We, you know, we only get a glimpse of it from time to time. Sometimes God reaches in and heals someone and we see a glimpse of that spiritual realm. Or sometimes God does a miracle in your life, something that just couldn't possibly have happened if it wasn't God, you know, and you see a touch of that spiritual realm. Sometimes God turns up in a way that you just say, this just has to be God. And we just get a taste, just a bite of it. And so we don't think about entering into God's heavenly realm, his holy place in the heavens. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that when we pray and we worship, that's what we're doing. We're entering in in that unseen spiritual world into his place. And I don't want you to take it for granted just how incredible that is. And certainly to the audience of Hebrews who were Jews, used to the Old Testament time, this was amazing. They just couldn't conceive of being able to enter in to God's presence like this. Incredible. And amazing you can do that and not be harmed. In um, C.S. Lewis' novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, two of the four children, in the novel, Luce, Susan and Lucy, they're having a conversation with, with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. So, you know, enter into the spirit of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Narnia. So they're having a conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about the lion, who's the king of Narnia, who represents Christ, but also God, and it kind of goes like this. Is, is he a man, asked Lucy. "Is a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly? "'Certainly not. "'I tell you, he is the king of the wood "'and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? "'Aslan is the lion, the lion, the great lion.' "'Ooh,' said Susan, "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion.' "'That you will, dearie, and no mistake,' said Mrs. Beaver. "'If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan "'without their knees knocking,' They're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. It's important to remember that God is good, but he's also mighty, powerful, formidable, He's the one that spoke the universe into existence, and we don't even know how big it is yet. When we come into his presence spiritually, we come into the presence of almighty magnificence. And I just want to tell you that's not to be underestimated. So, what's it like to go into heaven's most most holy place? It's a good question. There's a few of the writers in the uh, Bible that give us a bit of a glimpse of what it's like to go into heaven. Isaiah, Micaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the Apostle John, they all give us a bit of a sense of what it is like to step into heaven's most, most holy place. So picture this, vision this with me. So you're up there, right, and you see a throne, and the one sitting on the throne is shining and glowing and emanating like a diamond. But mixed in with the diamond is red, red like a ruby. And his hair is just like white as snow. And his robe is the most brilliant white you've ever seen. And his robe, like it's a temple-like environment. And his robe kind of fills the whole, the whole of the temple. And um, there's lightning and there's thunder and there's voices like a concophony of voices like you've never heard before. And the throne's on fire right? Not Hunger Games. This is heaven's heavenly throne, right? And The throne's on fire, and the wheels on it's got wheels on the throne, and they're on fire. And there's a river of fire that is flowing from the throne, but across a crystal sea, like just it just goes out from the throne. And then there's this this rainbow, but it's like a green emerald-like rainbow, and it covers the throne. It's the most magnificent scene thing you've ever seen. And then in front of the throne there are seven lamps, and these seven lamps burn, and you just get this sense, man, that is the Holy Spirit of God. Seven being the number of spiritual completion. It's representative of the Holy Spirit of God um, and his eyes throughout the whole earth. And then surrounding this throne are 24 thrones. And on the 24 thrones are 24 elders, and you know they're elders because they're really old. And, spiritual joke. And they have white robes, like the one on the throne. Sorry, Ruby. And they've got like gold crowns on their heads. And they surround the throne. This is what the heavenly writers, the Bible, biblical writers tell us. Then there's these four creatures and they've got six wings. And they've got eyes on the inside and the outside of their wings. And they've got eyes on the inside. And I don't know how you can see them, but you can see them. And one has the man of a fa- uh, face of a man, one the face of an ox, one the face of a lion, and one the face of of an eagle and they they kind of move around about the throne and they sing day and night without ceasing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then surrounding all of them, uh, the Bible says thousands of thousands, no, 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 tens of thousands of thousands of angels as a heavenly host, a host of angels and they cry and they sing and they shout out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's the scene you're going into when you step into the most holy place, spiritually. And you look to the right of the throne, of the one who sits on the throne, that glows like a diamond with ruby, and you see a lamb seated. And John the Apostle tells us, it's a lamb, but it's like it's been slain. It's got seven horns and seven eyes, and it's God the Father. And Christ the Son, and Christ the Son sits at his right hand. And when we step into prayer and into worship and bring our praise and our requests and our conversation to God, that spiritually is the place we are stepping into. It is the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies. So if you can imagine yourself in that place, even if you're super spiritual, that's got to be intimidating, got to be overwhelming, got to be overawing. And what you need is someone to, to support you, to be with you in that environment. And that's the Son of God. He's there, seated, waiting, ready to support you in that environment. And that's what it looks like. It's the most amazing thing, the Son of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we can go into that place as amazing and as over as might as that might seem. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. We can go into that place boldly, confidently, fearlessly, assuredly, courageously, because Jesus is there. Jesus has opened the way into the very presence of God, and that's where we step into spiritually when we pray and we worship. And that's because Jesus died for us. He offered up his life for us. He opened the way. His blood on the cross secured that entry into heaven's most holy place. And when we go into that scene, we don't go in our own right, on our own strength, on our own merit, but we rely and we trust on the merit and the strength and the sacrifice of Christ when we step into that place. And Hebrews tells us, the writer tells us, there's just three things that are so important when we do this when we step into that that most holy place, that heavenly scene. And he says, first of all, when you do that, when you're praying or you're worshipping or you've got something to say to God, you want to talk to him, the first thing is to be real, to be real, to be really you, to be authentic, to be genuine. It says in verse number 21 and 22, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go into into the presence of God with sincere hearts. I've got to tell you that that heavenly place is no place for pretense. It's no place for making stuff up and shining it on and being super spiritual and using flowery words. It's not a place like that. It's a place where you take your real self. Just who you are, your own language, your own emotions, your own requests, your own needs, your own worship, and you just be you, you just be real. And there's a couple of reasons for that. It tells us that Jesus, the great high priest, rules over the house of God. God knows you intimately just as you are. You just be you. Hey God, here I am. got some things I want to talk about. Just be you. Christ knows you and secondly, he's got you covered. The passage talks about his blood being sprinkled and his death being given for us. He's got you covered. You can just be you, genuine, authentic, just who you are. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to be confident in Christ, confident that Christ is there to support us. Verse number 22. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. When we go into the presence of God, we can be absolutely confident that Christ will be there to support us. You know that? story at the start. You know what I would have loved? You know, when I went into that classroom to get my ball back, I just would have loved someone to be, to be with me, a support person. Do you know what I mean? Like, we didn't have those in the 70s, we've got them today. But you know, it'd be nice to have someone that, you know, maybe didn't do all the talking, but maybe did a little bit of the talking. You know, maybe when, if the teacher, the rugby coach wasn't going to give me my ball back, got have stuck up for me. I didn't have any of that. But I want to assure you, when you go into the presence of God, into that throne room, Christ is there. And when you look at him, he's going to look at you and he's going to know you. There'll be an exchange of glances. And you'll know when you look in his eyes, man, I got your back. He will say, I got your back. Christ doesn't do a no show, particularly in the heavenly realm. There's a couple of really neat verses. One of those in Hebrews, one of them is in. Romans, and this is what it says in Hebrews 7.25. Speaking of Christ Jesus. Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Romans 8.34 says basically the same thing. Uh, Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading... For us, Man, he's there for us, there to support us when we step into that place. And thirdly, rely on Christ's sacrifice for us, verse 22, the whole thing. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. That's important because it goes back to the dying thing. Because the prophet Habakkuk says this, he says about God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. But when we go into that most holy place, and Christ, sorry, and God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see you know, sinful people, we're forgiven, but we, we know we sin, our minds sin, our bodies do things they shouldn't do, that's still present for us. But when God the Father looks on us, he looks it upon us through Christ's sacrifice. And he just sees clean, clear consciences, pure bodies, righteousness. It's not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. He's our righteousness for us. And that's how God the Father sees us. And so when you step into that heavenly throne room, you're stepping in on the basis of Christ's righteousness. You are acceptable to God the Father through Christ, and God the Father is the most powerful being in the universe. And look, I know it's hard to get your head around the unseen spiritual realm, but the reality is when we come together like this in a worship service, in a corporate worship service, literally we as a group of God's people are stepping in to that most holy place and offering up our worship to God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. That's why at the end of the passage that we read tonight, verse number 25, he's like, don't don't not meet together like, how awesome is that, that we come tonight and step into that throne room? It's incredible. And we do that relying on Christ. So the thing for this week just one time. I'm gonna ask you to pray this week, is that cool? Or worship this week, I know, starting tonight. When you do that, just one time this week, in in your mind, have that vision. Man, I am stepping into that most holy place. God the Father on the throne, it's white and it's fire and it's rivers and you know, jewels and crystal and emeralds and man and there's angels singing and there's 24 elders and they're really old and uh, there's four living creatures and you know just envision that scene stepping in and having Christ the son look at you and you know he's got your back as you engage with God the Father do that boldly do that confidently do that with full assurance. This is a new and living way which Christ has created for us, and it's amazing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Christ the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, seen tonight through the book of Hebrews how, whilst it's really hard for us to sort of grasp it, how in a spiritual sense, when we pray and when we worship and when we we enter into your throne room, the most amazing sight with just millions of angels. It's incredible. We've seen tonight how, because of Christ's death, because of his sacrifice, because of his role as the great high priest, we can do that confidently and boldly, relying on his, your son's, sacrifice for us. Help us to do that Lord, and, and help us to really understand what we're doing and just how amazing it is to be in your presence. Let us be, just be our real selves. Come with ourselves and just have a really honest, down-to-earth, courageous conversation with you in that throne room. Inspire us to live for you, to love you, to walk with you, to make you the first and most highest priority on, in our lives and inspire us to, and encourage us to look forward to the day when we will actually walk in the light of that temple and see the things that you've shown us in the scripture. We love you. We commit ourselves to you tonight. Be with us, we pray. In Christ's almighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.